Hey everybody, welcome back to the Liberty on Fire podcast. So today it's just me, Libertarian Tony. We had a podcast recently, I think just yesterday, with myself and Joey, and we talked about the Democratic primary update and how scary Elizabeth Warren is looking, that kind of thing. And I think we we talked a little bit about Trump as well. But today I'm going solo again, and I want to talk about something Uh, that was in the New York Times recently. This is uh, something that they're calling the 1619 Project. So 1619 is this date in which slavery supposedly was introduced into the U.S. So let's look at the history of slavery. Well, I mean, across the world, slavery existed everywhere, not just in the United States. That may shock some people. Okay, I mean, this is basically what countries, kingdoms, and groups did for years. I mean, they conquered their neighbors or foreign lands, they took all the gold, and they took people as slaves. This was basically how nations and kingdoms expanded their influence. Um, So yeah, this was ubiquitous throughout the entire planet for thousands of years. This is the way it was done. I mean, was it morally reprehensible? Yes, of course. By our standards today, of course it is. But hundreds and thousands of years ago, this was a commonly accepted practice. So does that mean we are morally superior now? I mean, I would say yes, of course we are. We are better now. We know that that's not the right thing to do. And it took a lot of different, I guess, nations and groups of people uh, many years to figure that out. And then when did we figure that out for the United States? Well, it was sometime around, let's say, the Civil War, or I like to call it the Southern War for Independence. Anyway, that's a whole separate topic. Okay, so a fun fact is that every state in the U.S., so in in the British colonies, had slaves in 1776. That includes every northern state. And it took a long time for slavery to die out even in the north. I think even as late as the 1850s or something, the New Jersey had slaves. So it's not as if, you know, only the South had slaves and the North didn't. Every state had slaves, and it just died out slower in the North than it was in the South. And then there was a war. Okay, the whole uh, war for Southern independence is a whole separate podcast. I could probably do that another time. But I want to get back to this. 1619 project. So you have these kind of uh, social justice warrior history revisionist people trying to say that capitalism is bad or exists today only on the backs of slavery or because of slavery. I mean, their argument, which is really odd, in my opinion, for a leftist to have this argument, is that they're saying slave labor was efficient Slave labor was enviable, that slave labor drives an economy and accounts for industrial success. Now, is that something you would normally expect someone on the left to say about slavery? I don't think so. So they're using like this kind of bizarro land argument to say, you know, how good slavery was at the time and that You only have things today, you only have capitalism because of slavery hundreds of years ago. Does that make sense to you? 
Now, why would the left say such things about slavery? Well, of course we know why, right? The left wants to say that capitalism today derived all of its benefits from slavery. And so that they can simultaneously denounce capitalism while at the same time make some sort of an argument for reparations. So I believe that's their goal. The libertarian argument would be more something like, you know, slavery was a blight. It was not just immoral, it was horribly inefficient. Now, of course, they have to say that slavery was, of course, immoral, but it was still a system that led to the current benefits that we all enjoy today. I just mentioned they have to say this because they want to be able to denounce capitalism. Now, are these idiots kind of aware that capitalism has brought about the greatest increase in the standard of living for hundreds of millions of people over the past hundred years? Capitalism is exactly why the global poverty rate is collapsing, not communism or socialism, I mean, which never works and just kills people. Anyway, I don't want to get too off track. So these people make the argument that slavery is foundational to capitalism, but they don't want to define capitalism or tell you how. Well, if they refuse to define capitalism, then they can try to blame it for whatever they want, right? So I'm going to define capitalism for you. So capitalism is basically the opposite of slavery. Uh, Capitalism is a system of private property and freedom of contract. So basically, voluntary interactions amongst free people. How does that sound bad? How do voluntary interactions amongst people sound anything close to slavery? Okay, now let's look at the economics of slavery. So first, just on face value, if everyone was a slave... Like, poof, you know, I had a magic wand or cast a spell and I could turn everybody into slaves right now. Are we a richer society now that 99% of us are slaves and ruled over by a 1% or something? Does that make any sense? So I've, I've linked a bunch of articles in the show notes for today's podcast. And uh, one of the main, I guess, authors pushing back on this 1619 project is uh, Phil Magnus. And he's pointed out that these left-wing arguments about slavery being a boon are the same ones that the slave apologists were making about 150, 200 years ago. So in the 1800s, the slave apologists would talk about King Cotton and how necessary it was to the local economy and for the South and, you know, for the nation to survive and for the world to benefit from, from slavery. That's what they wanted you to believe so that you would be in favor of slavery. So are the leftists now making that same kind of argument that slavery was this big benefit to society at the time and that's why we needed it? But then at the same time, it somehow turned into capitalism, which is definitionally the complete opposite of slavery. Some people quoted this guy, uh, Ed Baptist, and he's also in a few of the articles that I have linked to the podcast. This guy, Ed Baptist, looked at the numbers and slavery and account, and at the time said it, slavery accounted for 50% or more of the economy in the antebellum South. Well, of course, Ed Baptist has been destroyed already by numerous economists and historians. 
uh, mainly because this guy double and triple counted a lot of economic figures. So he made it seem like slavery was much more a part of the economy than it really was. And again, um, I would I would read Bob Murphy's article on this and the uh, Phil Magnus articles in the uh, show notes. Okay, so anyway, you have these slave apologists or propagandists, you know, argued that laissez-faire is the enemy of slavery, and the uh, they denounced the economics of free market thinkers at the time. So which is it? You know, the slave propagandists say that slavery and laissez-faire are opposites, but our social justice warrior people in the New York Times say that slavery was hand-in-hand with capitalism. Okay, I got another thought experiment for you. So if we enslaved everyone today, would the economy be boosted? So you basically, you lose all your normal incentives to be productive, and that's supposed to be some sort of boon to society. Think about that one. Now let's talk about this. How do you make the case that slavery gets you more efficiency, greater output, and more economic growth? No one has ever successfully made that argument, and none of these modern slave apologists are also making that argument either. They can't do it. There's no evidence for it. What they try to do is claim that the economy grew under slavery. Well, yes, it grew. The population was growing, and they were bringing in more slaves, so of course there was growth. But so what? The thing you need to really uh, be asking is, what if all the slaves were freed? So again, let's have a magic wand, and poof. And May 5th or something, 1850, all the slaves are just magically free. Would you think the economy would grow faster? Well, of course it would. Free people have an economic incentive to produce as much as they can. Does a slave have the, have the same incentive to produce? No. I mean, a slave just has an incentive to produce only enough so they can keep from getting punished, right? So they're producing at the bare minimum so they don't get whipped. In a free system, you are in charge of your own destiny. You can acquire wealth and capital. You can integrate yourself into the division of labor and you know, where your talents are most suited, and produce something that others value. That's what capitalism is all about. That's how anyone can get rich. It's by providing value to others, and if it's on a big enough scale, like providing value to the masses, then you can get really wealthy. You can't do this as a slave. Competitive free labor is always going to produce better products than slave labor. A market economy will always outperform a slave economy. A slave economy cannot compete in a market that values high-quality goods. Impossible. Now, here's another thing. If the slave economy in the South was so good and so powerful and advantageous, then why didn't the South win the war? And let's take uh, another example of uh, slavery. Look at Brazil. They had slaves until 1888. Now, why weren't they a powerhouse? They had slaves longer than the United States did. Okay, so those are some good, I guess, talking points for you to keep in mind and some things to think about. Now I'm going to say a little something about capitalism. We don't exactly have capitalism in the United States. At least, we don't have laissez-faire capitalism. What we have is cronyism, or crony capitalism, 
And as John Stossel and others like to say, they call it crapitalism. So what does that mean? Well, we have corporations and industries who give money to politicians, their political campaigns, in order to gain favor in the marketplace. How do they do this? Well, let's say you have an auto company and there are some new like EPA fuel regulations being worked on. Well, an auto company or industry may work with some politicians to write regulations to benefit some of the auto companies at the expense of other auto companies who will have trouble competing. So politicians aren't very bright. They don't know how to write regulation. So the corporation sends their lobbyist and tells the politician, look, this will be good for you to pass this regulation. And don't worry, we'll help you write it. So not only will we give you money for your next re-election campaign, we'll help you write the regulation and you can tell everybody what a good, did, a good job you did fighting pollution or something. This is how corporations get in bed with big government and limit competition. This is almost a necessary feature at this point given how big government has gotten. Government is so big now that it regulates everything and when it's easier to buy a politician or to pass a regulation favorable to your company than it is to invest in R&D or to compete on the open market for consumers, well, then you go and you buy a politician. It may only cost you a few million bucks, right, to buy a couple uh, political campaigns, but that could reap your company billions of dollars of benefits. So unfortunately, this is the system we have now. It wasn't always this way, but as government got more involved in regulating more and more industries, you get this sort of win-win situation for the government corporation collusion. And it has only gotten worse over the years. Now, many of you would probably blame the corporations for this. I don't. I think it's natural for every individual, as well as individual companies and corporations, to pursue what's in their best interest. Now, it's obviously in a corporation's best interest to buy off a politician. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it, right? So how do you fix this? The only real way to fix this is to shrink the size of government, right? If government can't regulate an industry in a meaningful way, if they can't pass laws to favor certain companies or industries over another, if they can't uh, give out subsidies to industries such as farming and oil, well, then the free market and consumers will tell the corporations and businesses what they value based on what they are willing to buy and at what prices. This is the way capitalism is supposed to work. Well, that will do it for today. Thank you all for listening to the Liberty on Fire podcast. Please do me two favors. Number one is to share the show. Remember that we want to continue to advance the message of individual liberty, and sharing and growing the show is one of the best ways to do that. The second favor is to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. A five-star rating is much appreciated. Also, please check out our website, libertyonfire.org. Thank you very much. And until next time, let's keep those fires of liberty burning bright. <laughs>